Hello everyone and welcome back to the sign of the dollar. So it's the start of a new year, a new decade even, and of course it's time for everyone to make resolutions. Now, a lot of people are totally committed to the idea of making resolutions and are completely with this opportunity, while others don't agree with the idea at all. So today, here with me to talk about the new year resolutions and also our predictions in terms of political battles this year is none other than Vince Dow. So before we get into that discussion, Vince has actually recently been working on a new project uh, with Lance uh, called Patriot P Productions. They recently opened a YouTube channel. So would you like to tell us a little bit about that first, Vince? Yeah, so um, we've opened a brand new YouTube channel where we want to create all sorts of conservative content, you know, comedy, serious discussions, you know, we want to go out in the street and interview people. We, we want to create all sorts, we want to be a platform for all sorts of conservative content. Um, we have a few different creators, like some of you guys might know Chandler Crump. He's very famous on YouTube. He's going to be joining the team. So anyways, if you guys are interested in some fresh, independent, conservative content, be sure to subscribe to Patriot Productions on YouTube. And that's about it. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So, so, so to get into the discussion that we had uh, planned for today, Vince, what is your take on uh, on resolutions? D do you think it's a good idea uh, to have resolutions at the start of every new year? Do you have any resolutions? If so, what are they? Okay. So, resolutions are interesting. I, I know there's there's a stat. I forgot. I I don't remember the exact number, but somewhere around like seventy to eighty percent of New Year's resolutions don't get kept. I think the problem with new year's resolutions is the fact that the idea, you know, resolutions I think should come from within. You should decide at a certain point that is impacted by your life and not simply the calendar that, Hey, I need to make a change on this or that. And I think the reason why a lot of new year's right. resolutions are broken is because of the fact that a lot of people they'll, let's say they have a bad habit and they start noticing it in like October, December, November, right? They'll start to be like, oh, well, I'll just fix it in a new year, right? That's, that's a bad attitude to have. You need, if you <laughs> yeah, see yeah, a change, it needs, to, it, needs to like, it needs to feel strong, like, oh, I'm not just going to make up new things I'm going to do for the new year. No, you have to like passionately realize and think, well, this is something I need to fix. That's something I need to fix. So I, I, I might be sort of a hypocrite because I try to make semester solutions, uh, resolutions in school. Like this semester, I want to like set do this, do that. And oftentimes I end up breaking them, but I still try to keep with the spirit of them. And I guess that kind of helps me a little bit. Like, for example, this semester, I wanted to make a schedule when I got home. So I was productive with my time, right? Almost never followed the schedule. Yeah. But I just the fact that I had a schedule actually still made me more productive with my time. So I, I guess there, there's yeah, sort of a, yeah. a positive impact to making resolutions. But I just, I just think that it's, it's fine. If you keep your New Year's resolution, that's great. But if you really want to commit yourself to change and you know that change is going to be hard, you need to make it at a point where you decide, not the calendar, but you decide where you need to fix something. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree with that because some, some people are just like, they're just completely you know casual about how they live their life and, and they don't think there's any proper time to make uh, resolutions. I think there's a lot of value to to making explicit the goals that you have, even even if you may have them somewhere in the back of your mind, actually sitting down, thinking about them, uh, committing those ideas to paper, and then actually pursuing them in short-term and long-term goals uh, definitely helps. So the, the thing about New Year's resolutions is that most people don't really consciously think about making goals for themselves, right? So, so you, you have a lot of people who will just, you know, live life by the day and and they don't necessarily have anything that they're working towards definitely there's a lot of people who do a lot of people uh, make goals uh, every every week even but the thing about new year's resolutions is that it's such a big thing it's sort of like a fad that it actually gets people like that who who 
don't usually think about this kind of stuff to also think about it and to make goals to to improve themselves. So, so that's why I think there is value to having this idea. Of course, the problem is because it's such a uh, you know it's such a fad and there's a specific time that people try to you know solidify these goals in, in in terms of telling them to other people and writing them down. That's part of the reason why they they don't get kept most of the time and definitely that's an issue and I see it I, I see it um, with everyone who makes resolutions including myself that uh, we you know we make these goals but then we don't end up fulfilling them but I still think it's it's, it's a good opportunity because usually we, we, we just push it away like oh yeah we'll make goals then we won't make goals at all we don't think about it usually so that's why I think that there definitely is uh, value to it so last year I had made a resolution about my rap if I remember correctly um, which was to release one song every month. Now that definitely didn't happen, but I produced a lot more content that year than I did in any other year. So I definitely think uh, making that goal at least had some part to play in terms of um, in terms of me being able to achieve more in that year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if you keep the goal for like two weeks or keep whatever you wanted to do, you still did something better than nothing, you know? So I think even if you totally break your New Year's resolution yeah. within like a month, at least you got that month in, you know, which had there been no New Year's resolution, you wouldn't have gotten anything. So, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a good opportunity to, to make goals to improve yourself, especially for people who usually don't, aren't that self-driven and don't think about it that much. So, so that's why I definitely see there, that, that there is value in, in New Year's resolutions. So did you make any New Year's resolutions this year? Uh, so I set a few, I set uh, resolutions for the new semester, which was basically like last semester, but I'm going to actually try to like, I guess, reform how I do it this semester. Because when I get home, I have this really bad habit of sitting on my phone and basically just going through Instagram and replying to comments for like three, four hours, which is just not, not productive at all. Right. So I want to actually get home and like, I want to set a schedule. Like by, by this time I need to be doing this. I need to be done with that. And whether that's working on the content I need to produce or, you know, homework, I want to just get done with, I, I want to have a, a set schedule. So that I'm actually like getting stuff done this year. Um, outside of that, th at the beginning of this year, and now, now this was sort of a more casual new year's resolution because you cannot control your follower count, follower count so much, but at the beginning of this year, I had 1,000 followers. Now I have around 10,000. So that's multiplied my following by around right 10, right? So I wanted to hopefully do that again. And that would mean that this year I'd finished with 100. This next, this, in the upcoming year, I would finish with 100,000 followers. So those are basically my two New Year's resolutions. Um, I guess work out more, but you know, it's, that's about it. Nothing too like fancy. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I think that that does help. And um, I actually had this similar. I mean, I still have that habit. I, as soon as I get home, I spend at least an hour on my phone doing random bullshit, not not doing anything productive. So my goal, and I made this goal like a random time last year. It, it wasn't a New Year's resolution. It was that on weekdays I want at least three hours of productivity. That is either working on on um you know political content, rap, or or my schoolwork. Um, and on weekends, at least five to six hours of, of productivity. So, so like you said, creating these goals when you see fit, when, when, when you're thinking, you know, it could be at any time during the year that you think, you know, I'm, I'm not that productive. I need to, I need to improve my habits. Creating a goal at that point is more valuable than waiting until the end of the year. So, so, so that is what I ended up doing. And like, and like you said, for you as a semester and, uh, uh, or semester start, uh, resolutions. 
So moving on, we also wanted to talk uh, a little bit about the, you know, the political events, obviously some pretty big things coming up in this year and uh, our predictions for, for what's going to happen. So, 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 so to start off, I know we discussed this, this last time, but a lot has happened since then. We, we recorded a podcast, I don't know if you remember, about uh, the Democratic candidates and who we think would get the nomination. At that point, you said that it was uh, between Liz Warren and Kamala Harris, if I'm not wrong, but you know, Harris has dropped out. Uh, I'm not too sure about Liz Warren at the moment, but so so. W- w- what are your thoughts at the moment? Who who do you think it is most likely to get the nomination among the Democrats? It, it's it's so I, I've I've stopped making serious predictions about this, other than the mere speculation, because the race just keeps changing all the time. Like yeah, so a few months ago, Elizabeth Warren was doing really well. Like in some polls, she was actually beating Joe Biden nationally, and then some some stuff has gone wrong with the finance in her campaign. She's running out of funds. Her uh, her polling has dropped by like half in some polls. She went from like 22% to like back to 12% now. Um, it's, it's just, it's really hard to say. It, it, the race keeps constantly changing. You know, Kamala Harris was doing really well until Tulsi Gabbard basically took her out, you know. Um, but <laughs> at this point, I'm, I'm going to make a bold prediction and say they're going to just somehow, some way, Joe Biden is going to just come out on top of all this, like still standing. And he's going to, somehow get pushed across the finish line. I, I, that's what I'll say. But I would say that two candidates not to sleep on because people seem to have forgotten about them. Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg because they, they, like, they're kind of going under the radar, but they're still pulling at sort of a decent amount. They haven't had any major scandals to screw them up. So I, I, I would say keep an yeah. eye on them. But I think it's looking to me right now like Joe Biden just going to somehow win it all. I, I don't know. I, I, I think these candidates are clearly pretty weak. Um, a lot of Democrats agree, like a lot of them agree that the, the field is pretty weak this year. So, yeah, honestly, I don't know if any of them could beat Trump, any, at least any of the top ones. But that that's I, I would say right now it, it does look like Biden, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I also probably think that Biden's going to end up with the nomination. I mean, he's been polling pretty consistently above the other candidates. And <laughs> even though he has a a few problems with his um his <laughs> speaking abilities uh he he still is the most uh you know I, I don't know how to say this but you know he was he was vice president of of obama he has all of that uh all of that accreditation to him and yeah it, it's probably most like and also i think he has a better chance of uh of uh beating trump which i doubt will happen but he has a better chance uh, against trump in the general election than do other more extreme candidates in uh in my opinion um um I, i'm not sure about that but then what 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 do you think well i think that the part of the problem with biden is he's so obviously inarticulate like he always is gaffing and stuff that yeah. a more extreme candidate like warren or bernie that are more extreme but kind of knows what they're talking about a little bit more and it is a little bit more articulate and fluid in a debate would actually have a better chance than Biden, someone who is, he's always stumbling. He can't never really get his words out. You know, you don't really know what he's saying, you know? Yeah, I guess that's fair. It's just the only thing is for a general election, I don't think the, like the general American population is, is that, that far left that, I mean, I'd say it's a, still a pretty small portion of people who, who support candidates like that. I mean, okay, they, they, they have, pretty pretty large support especially since since trump came into office you see a lot a lot more people being uh, more and more polarized on both sides um so so it, it's hard to say because uh last time when it was hillary and trump 
um, if if Bernie had gotten the nomination, uh, there is a chance he could have won because he, he he was going strong. Like he he had this whole anti-establishment thing going for him so much so that even some of his fans ended up voting Trump just because they're both anti-establishment. So so definitely, like you said, Bernie is someone to watch for, and I don't I'm not sure how he would fare in a general election with Trump at this point, but it it is it is fair to say that that um, people with ideas, you know, that I wouldn't say like extreme far left because, you know, he's, he's not literally a communist like some people like to say, but his, his, his uh, economic, economic policies are a lot more uh, hard and extreme than, than other Democrats, especially in, in, um, in earlier elections, like, like even Barack Obama, for example. So, so yeah, th- there's, there's definitely, <laughs> you definitely have to consider that. But I doubt any Democrat at this point has enough power to beat Trump in a general election, but like, but like you said, most likely Biden's gonna come come on top in the Democratic nomination, and we'll we'll see how that pans out uh, with him and and Trump. Yes, yeah, so something I would also say you have to consider though is that I, I've been looking at Elizabeth Warren because obviously she like her policy on healthcare right now, obviously stripping away like private insurance for everyone in the country. That's that's crazy. You know, it's very radical and a lot of people don't like that and want to keep their private health insurance. But I've been I've been watching her and I feel like she's going to be that candidate that if she is nominated, sort of what Trump did in 2016, if she's nominated, once she is the candidate, the prime candidate, she's going to sort of moderate her positions a little bit like this is what Trump did in 2016. Trump Mm. was a lot more sort of hardcore and gung-ho when he was the, the running for the nomination. Once he got the nomination, he sort of stepped back. He moderated a little bit to, to sort of appeal to the more average voter. I I, I would say that's a, another reason to watch for Warren is because if she does get the nomination, which I don't, I'm not sure she will, but if she does, I think she might have a better chance than Biden because strategically she would probably go back more to the moderate stage that, by the way, she used to be earlier in her career, right? She used to be known as a very moderate Democrat. Now she's gone far to the left, but I, I could I could see her sort of going back to sort of the center left or at least in that direction, sort of get both sides of the progressives and the moderates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's a possibility. It, it just seems to me that she's actually actually that in in that position where she actually believes in everything she's saying it just it just seems to me like that so that's why i somewhat doubt her ability to to become more moderate once she does get the nomination but but like if if she does if she does get the presidency which is uh, very unlikely she she obviously there's a senate in the house and all of that to keep her in check so she wouldn't be able to be as extreme and implement all the policies she's claiming she's going to implement so in that sense she'll definitely moderate her positions but uh in terms of the gen- uh when when she's looking at the general election maybe 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 her com- campaign advisors will tell her uh to to simmer down a bit so so in other news, uh, there was there was a big New Year's rally in in Hong Kong. Of course, there's been uh, protests being uh, like going on ongoing since since a, a very long time now. So so what what do you think the struggles of Hong Kong represent in the grand scheme of things? Because you see a lot of people talking about how the world is is becoming more authoritarian, but then you have these brave protesters who are standing up uh, for liberty. So so what do you think that this uh, that this protest represents yeah so let, let's let's sort of zoom out and see like who who's on each side here you have hong kong for which for the past like few decades has been the number you look up on basically any um institute that ranks economic freedom hong kong consistently ranks as the number one freest economy in the world 
and it, 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 it historically has been one of the freest societies in the world, right? It could be, well, at least in the last like 40, 50 years or so, right? It's, it's basically the only democratic area in China. Um, China itself, it, you see a government that has always been pretty authoritarian ever since Mao, but in recent years seems to be, after letting up a little bit, seems to be cracking down on rights once again. Like you have the Uyghur Muslims, you have a lot of these new Chinese, you know, spy techniques like the... I'm not sure if you heard about this, but they have a new like uh, it's it's sort of like a credit score, but for like citizenship, like how good of a Chinese citizen you are. So you have oh, basically wow. yeah. the most prominent authoritarian government in the world versus the freest economically, the most economically free city in the world. And so this is an interesting battle because I think whoever comes out on top of this, whether Hong Kong is able to preserve democracy, at least for now, or whether or not China is able to basically successfully cram its boot down Hong Kong's throat, I think that could be a pretty important um, step, especially not just the region, but the world. I think that, you know, a few years ago, there were there were some reactionary movements in uh, Southeast Asia, which is pretty close to Hong Kong, right? I think success in Hong Kong could see more democratic movements there and around the world. Like you see a lot of protests around the world. Some of them are justified, some of them are not, but there's a spirit of reform around the world now because of Hong Kong. There are a lot of people out there protesting because of Hong Kong, you know? So I think should the Hong Kong protests succeed in the sense that all of the demands of the protesters are met, I think that could be an important step towards, you know, preserving and restore and in some places restoring freedom around the world whereas if the chinese government is able to succeed and you know crack down totally on hong kong i think that could set a precedent for a lot of authoritarian governments in other places to say hey if china's doing it that might be a good idea let's do it too so i think it's a pretty interesting battle it's a really important one for the future of liberty and freedom and democracy and, and republics and all all that you know those good the good stuff and i think that it, it's going to be pretty interesting in the coming months and years as to where exactly this goes yeah so so definitely but uh a worry i have is you know the chinese government is is so powerful and they've shown that that nothing is is off limits for them the 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 kinds of things that's been happening to to like you said the the muslims in the so-called concentration camps and and also what what the police have been doing to the protesters uh i think there there is unfortunately a good chance that that the Chinese government could come up, come out on top. So, so like you said, since this has a lot of Im- implications um, in terms of uh, authoritarian governments elsewhere, you being an isolationist, do you think there is any any justifiable uh, ground for for any country to intervene in this conflict, or do you think it should remain completely a battle between the protesters and their government? Um. So. I'd obviously not be in favor of sending, uh, for example, the U.S. military to Hong Kong. That would probably just end a nuclear war, right? But there there are actually yeah. actions that the United States can take. I mean, we're, we're obviously not even related to Hong Kong, but we are locked in a trade war right now. It's actually sunk Hong Kong's economy. I mean, not Hong Kong's, China's economy a lot. Um, we are in a very close relationship with China and actually a lot of authoritarian countries we have a trading relationship with. So there are, there are means to put on pressure. I mean, the sanctions that... President Trump placed on Iran have basically sunk in their economy to a place where Iran is now obviously very angry at us, right? So there, there is definitely a place, I think, for non-military action to condemn another country, right? Because uh, while I wouldn't say we have the authority to go in and invade 
China or wherever, right? We do have the authority to decide who we as a country do business with, who we who we trade with, who our allies choose to trade with. And obviously in, in the new sort of globalized economy, that that is a very, trade is everything. You know, it's, it's the international trade is everything yep. to a country. So you cut off, for example, you threaten to cut off, for example, China. And obviously we need China too, unfortunately. Yeah, but exactly. exactly. You say you, you put pressure on China, you know, economically. You can... You can influence a lot of what a country does just based on sanctions and based on trade. I mean, a lot of a big reason why North Korea came to the table with the United States was not just because they found out that President Trump, you know, was going to be tough on them, but also because those sanctions were really hurting them, and they came to the table to try to get the sanctions lifted. So, I think there definitely is there are steps we can take. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. So. Um, th- there is one more thing. So, these kinds of conflicts are are usually supposed to be what the the you know a big topic of discussion at at uh, world forums like the UN. So, of course, it's a whole other discussion about how useful the UN is, what we think the role of the UN should be. But do, do you think in this particular case that the UN can and if they can will do something about what's going on in Hong Kong? So I don't think they will because if I'm not – I don't know specifically all the countries that are on the UN Human Rights Council. But I know that some of those countries on the Human Rights Council include like China, Venezuela, I, I believe Iran and Russia. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly all the countries. But I remember specifically looking at that list and thinking to myself, well, what the heck? What is – like these are all countries that have like historically and notoriously been abusers of human rights and they were on the Human Rights Council. So – I don't see that happening. The Human Rights Council is too busy trying to condemn Israel for basically every single step that they take. But, you know, they, they, they're not really, they're not really, I don't understand who placed these countries on the Human Rights Council. But no, I do not see them taking action. Now, could they realistically, let's say that we actually had, you know, liberty loving countries on the Human Rights Council. Could there be action to be taken? Well, the UN historically has not been that effective i mean other than at least I, there are there are a few instances but i i wouldn't say that the un really could do anything other than sign a piece of paper condemning the chinese government but hopefully maybe collaboration in the un could lead some western countries to put trade pressure on china like i mentioned before and that that could you know do something i guess a few, a few countries in the un work together to put sanctions on china that could help but yeah, I, I I don't think the UN could do so much, and even if they would do so much, I mean, look at the countries on the Human Rights Council. It's it's terrible. It's it's a it's a crime to humanity. The countries that are on the Human Rights Council. So I I, I don't see any of that happening anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, sure. So so those are those are definitely criticisms of the UN that you know, especially in recent years, they haven't really been able to do much, and and there's just a few a few countries that that reign powerful, and then. Nothing ends up getting done uh, because of those countries. So yeah, so th- there's there's definitely an issue with that, and I agree with you. I don't think there's much that the UN can do. Uh, I I just hope that that the Hong Kong uh, protesters see some kind of success. It's tough with how powerful and how authoritarian the government is over there in China, but yeah, all we can do is hope. <laughs> j- just as uh, we can hope. Our other goals of 2020 are fulfilled. So anyway, uh, with that, I'd like to wrap up this podcast. It, it was good talking to you after after uh, quite a long time. Uh, we definitely have uh, a few more podcasts that we're uh, planning to record and 
putting out in the, in the next few months. So while I won't, won't make any large commitments uh, as in the frequency of, of how I'm going to upload, because this is going to be, be a very busy year for me in terms of academics, I will say that there that there is uh, more to come. So that is something to look forward to. So anyway, thank you for being on the podcast, Vince. All right, thank you. All right. Anyway, that'll do it for us at the sign of the dollar. Thank you for listening.